Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Quartz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. How good it is to see you on this Sunday morning. I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. We'll be looking at verses 10 and following, Ephesians chapter 6. The scripture says, Paul writing to the Ephesians says this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, Father, as we gather around your word this morning, we acknowledge you to be the one who is strong on our behalf. You are our protector. You are our provider. You are in this battle that we are in as followers of Jesus. You are our champion. Father, my simple prayer this morning is that you would help us to grasp, to understand what it is that we have in Christ that you've given to us, made so readily available for us that we can take and use as we fight and as we follow. Help us, Lord God, I pray, to to gain not only understanding but skill in using what you've given us so that we might stand, so that we might stand firm, so that we might advance in the fight for the sake of your glory and the eternal good of others. I pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we have been looking in this series at a number of different enemies. One of the enemies that we've looked at has been the flesh that is inside us, the flesh that tempts us constantly. One of the enemies we've looked at together is the world around us that is constantly distracting us from from more important, uh, more significant eternal things. One of the enemies that we spent a great deal of time looking at is the evil one, Satan or the devil, who is above us or beyond us, who has a supernatural power, a supernatural capacity. Uh, the, The enemy who uses and who loves to use the world and the flesh to advance his cause and his kingdom against the cause and the kingdom of God. There is another enemy though, and as we bring this series to a close, I need to take a little bit of time and share with you 
this final, almost secret, almost silent enemy. And that enemy is fatigue. What I would call battle fatigue. Battle fatigue. Now, you know that uh, you probably are, are uh, entering into an opportunity for battle fatigue uh, when uh, you have close Christian friends who have permission to speak into your life who start saying things to you like this. They start th saying things, now don't forget, 1 Corinthians 10, that God will provide a way of escape every time you come up against uh, uh, temptation don't forget, don't forget, God will make a way. Don't forget, don't forget. He will make sure that you don't have more on you than you can bear. If anybody starts talking to you that way, who is a follower of Jesus, you know you are in deep trouble. Your life is officially a mess. That's what happens when Christians, <laughs> they try to encourage others. And it's a good word. It's a right word. It's a true word. But you know, you know, you know, you know, you know when you are entering into a real possibility to live with and, and deal with this fourth enemy of fatigue, battle fatigue, spiritual fatigue. You also should know that Battle fatigue is a real possibility after, watch now, after you've been through a season of, of extended faithfulness that has included battle, it's included advance, you've been faithful to serve and you've been consistent in your service and your faithfulness to Christ and his kingdom. You know that you're, you're very liable to that. You're liable to what Paul says is a uh, weariness in doing good. Some of you know this morning exactly what I'm talking about. You've lived faithfully. You've lived, you've stood, you've stood firm season after season of life. There comes this moment, there comes this time when you're sorely tempted to back up, to back down, to sit down, even to retire, to take a breather, to take a rest from the faithfulness that has captured and kept you busy for the things of God and the things of Christ. Now this reality is, is for me one of the, one of the uh, reasons why these military metaphors that Paul uses to describe the equipment God gives us for the battle that we're in really is so very valuable because there is uh, a, a, a battle fatigue that is common to soldiers, a battle fatigue that is common to, to law enforcement officers. There is a fatigue that comes from having to stand, stand firm, stand strong, always be on the ready, always be on your guard, always be ready to respond at a moment's notice to a crisis, to an attack, to whatever. The more I thought on this, the more it occurred to me, you know, when we think about armor, we very often thinking of ancient armor, like we've been talking about the ancient armor of a Roman soldier, or we think about medieval armor. Have you ever been to London? You ever been to the Tower of London and seen all that collection of armor? It, it's amazing, but um, just the thought of that armor, just having to wear that armor in a battle, uh, just the thought of it can be wearying. And the reality is it is wearying, but here's something else. 
Uh, that kind of armor and that kind of experience with armor of having to be in a battle all armored up is, is not just for ancient soldiers. It is not just uh, for, the, for the medieval knight. It is also for law enforcement officers today. And as I thought about that, it became more and more clear to me that uh, there were some lessons to be learned. So I reached out. We've got lots of law enforcement officers at Center Grove, and we're grateful for them, grateful for your service, grateful for their wives, their husbands, just grateful for them and all that they do to keep us safe. So I reached out to a couple of them, and I said, uh, you know, talk to me a little bit about what it's like to be all armored up. And by the way, do you have any armor I could borrow for the sermon? Well, one of our, uh, what's the saying, police officers said, uh, well, I, I do have some. However, I will be wearing it at the fair on Sunday morning. Who knew the fair was so dangerous? But he said, I'll be wearing it at the fair on Sunday morning. And then he said, as a sideline, he said, and by the way, pastor, quite honestly, you probably don't want to use mine because mine doesn't smell so good. And I checked this one out that I got, and this one's good. This one... This one is illustration worthy. I'm not gonna pass out as I, as I show it to you, which I'm grateful for. So I got this from another uh, law enforcement officer who said he would be glad for me to wear it. I, I tried it on, I, I took it off. So um, I asked them, I said, what is it, what is it like? And it was interesting, it was interesting because uh, of what it shows us and what it says to us. And, 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 and the correlation between what we face as followers of Jesus. They said a couple of things that I thought were really, really interesting. One was on a positive note that uh, the armor that they uh, have to wear, and it's mandated uh, almost by, by a majority, I think now, of police um, departments. Why? Well, because police officers are five times more likely to lose their lives in, in their line of work than everybody else, 17 times more likely to be hurt, hurt or harmed. Uh, vests like this increases opportunity of survival by like 70% or something like that. So um, this, is, this is serious business for them. Uh, but uh, I asked them, I said, uh, you, know, what, what, you know, positive, negative, whatever, what, tell me about it. And they said, well, positively, it's not, they're not as heavy as they used to be. Oh, I'm just so glad that land of used to be is over. But uh, that's still pretty, pretty heavy. Um, they also said that uh, there was, one of the officers said that there was something uh, that was uh, actually comforting about first putting it on because you feel safe. It's kind of neat, uh, uh, kind of bound up, just like the, the, probably the apron of truth that Paul talks about. So that was a positive. On the negative side, though, what they said was this, was that it is always hot, no matter what the weather is, it is always hot, you're always sweaty, you're always dealing with skin irritations of some kind, always, all the time. And they said, yes, it is heavy. And when you think about a duty belt going on with this and, and other weapons, you know, you're talking 30 or 40 pounds, that's a lot of extra weight. In fact, one of the officers said, and he just did a moment of, of uh, openness, he said, and sometimes if I drop something, if it's not too valuable, I just leave it. <laughs> he said, if I bend over, I'm not sure I'll get back up, <laughs> which I don't think is probably a really good thing for an officer like that. But anyway, so he said, I just leave it and go get some more unless it's really, really valuable because it's a deal. It's a deal to bend over. 
I got to thinking about this and, and, uh, and I, I don't know that I had fully comprehended uh, all that went into being a law enforcement officer, the fact that in reality, in so many ways, they are in a battle. Uh, what what uh, several of them said at the end was basically this, that when their shift is over and they've had to, to, to be armored up all day, when their shift is over, sometimes the very best part of the day is taking the armor off. Taking that 30 to 40 pounds you've had on for 12 hour shift, taking the armor off. That is the best part of the day. And uh, that makes incredible sense to me. And by the way, let me say again how much we appreciate what you men and women do and the sacrifices that you make for us and uh, uh, what a blessing you are to us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But now as I was reflecting to myself, it occurred to me what officers get to do after 12 hours, followers of Jesus must never do. And that is part of what Paul is saying. Even in the midst, all right, come get this. I got the strongest guy I could find. (laughs) Even, Even with the apron on, even with the breastplate of righteousness on, there should never be a time when a follower of Jesus is not fully armored up. There's never a time, there's never a 12-hour slot that you get to serve and then you get to stop. That because this battle that we are in is a constant battle, a never-ending battle, and because uh, we are called to to fight in in a war that has eternal consequences, we can never, ever take the armor off, or we shouldn't. But the great temptation for so many, in fact, for all believers, not for so many, for all believers is when the fatigue starts to come and the battle has been long and the battle has been hard. And some of you know right what I'm talking about because you're in it right here, right now. When you have been struggling and struggling and struggling and the temptations are coming at at a rapid pace, the temptation to let go of some things becomes incredibly strong. The temptation to grow weary in well-doing becomes incredibly powerful. So today what I wanna do is I wanna finish up these last three pieces of armor with you. And I wanna look with you at each of them and I want to, to consider with you what they do, why they matter, and uh, what we must be on guard against as we use them. And so with our Bibles open before us, I want you to notice something as we get started. You'll notice with me in verses 14 and 15 that what Paul does initially with the first three pieces of equipment, he says, put them on, put them on, put them on. But then after verse 15, he shifts and he begins to say, take up, take up, take up, take up. 
the shield of faith. Take up the helmet of salvation. Take up the sword, which is for believers, the sword of the spirit or the word of God. And the picture there is that of grasping or laying a hold of something and keeping it within your grasp. Take it up, don't lay it down. Take it up, keep it up, don't lay it down. Now, let's take a look at each of these things that we are to take up. Let's take a look at their importance in the fight and why it is we've got to keep them in use. Notice with me, first of all, Paul says in verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now, Roman soldiers typically had two kinds of shields. They had uh, a smaller round shield or they had a larger shield, which is represented here. The larger shield is the word uh, that Paul uses here to describe this shield of faith. Now, our production team kept asking me, why don't you want this painted? Don't you want this painted? And I said, no, I don't want this painted because I don't want you to be distracted. What I want you to see is, I want you to see the size of this thing. It's about four feet by two and a half feet. This was, this shield provided the most protection of any other shield. And you can imagine with me what it would be like to go into battle. Yes, you've got your, your belt of truth on. Yes, you've got your breastplate on. You've got all of that on. But this provides a far greater amount of protection. And typically, the uh, Roman shield would also be covered in leather and before battle, soaked in water for reasons I'll, I'll share with you later. But you can imagine as they're going into battle, how much coverage this offers, how you can hide behind it and protect yourself, how you can uh, also protect it and advance. But one of the uh, great discoveries and the great uses that the Romans made of these larger shields was they used them together in smaller platoons or whatever as uh, phalanxes. And a phalanx allowed then Roman soldiers to go together in a group, armored up, shoulder to shoulder, in rows. And I want you to notice what is happening there. There is protection not only being offered to the individual, there's protection being offered to the entire group. There's protection on the front, protection on the sides, protection above as well from anything that might be uh, hurled at them. This was a formidable fo uh, force. With this kind of group, they could advance, they could park, they could stay, they could withstand an assault, all of those kinds of things, which for me is a beautiful, beautiful picture of the way the church should function and the way the body of Christ works together. And it is a powerful reminder of why we need each other. That in this battle we are in, we are not alone. We should not fight alone. We should not try to go through things alone. The reality is I need to keep my shield at hand, in hand, and I need you to do the very same thing with me. So there's a really valuable lesson almost out of the gate here. And it is this, that the shield of faith that Paul calls for here is not just for the individual believer. This shield is for all believers. This shield is for the church. 
This shield is for the church. You know what's a beautiful thing about the Christian life? I don't know if you've noticed this or not. But when I'm struggling, when maybe I have let my guard down some, or maybe I've lost my shield, it's a terrifying thing to be in the fight all by yourself. It's a tremendous thing to be in the fight with others who still have their shields on and are committed to helping you recover yours. Now, what is this? What is this shield of faith? What, what, what is he actually talking about? How does that work? What does that look like? What does it involve? And what kind of faith is he actually talking about here? Those are all really good questions. Paul talks about this shield of faith. The faith that he's talking about isn't the, uh, uh, the faith that by which we're saved but it is actually a different kind of faith. It is a faith in the God who can deliver us from our enemy. There is a faith, of course, that saves. When Paul says, I want you to take up the shield of faith, he's not saying though, I want you to take up the shield of saving faith. I want you to take up the shield of delivering faith. Now you say, pastor, what does that mean? What do you mean by that? Here's what I mean. When the New Testament talks about salvation, and, uh, 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 and when it talks about faith, it talks about the two kinds of faith, particularly the faith that uh, does save, but also the faith that we use, that manifests or demonstrates a trust in God to deliver us from the evil one who is coming against us. Now, there's another beautiful kind of insight here, and I don't want you to miss this. As I said earlier, the Roman soldiers, when, uh, before they would go into battle, particularly if they suspected that flaming arrows would be used. Now, the flaming arrow was basically an arrow that had been uh, wrapped and soaked in, in uh, a combustible material like pitch. It would be wrapped, it would be lit, and then it would be put in the bow and slowly released so that the flame would stay lit and, uh, and fired at the enemy. And typically when this happened, uh, there would be a number of archers and there would be a barrage of arrows that would be uh, raining down. It would be a terrifying experience because the sky would be literally raining fire. And so it, it, it was terrifying, but it was also incredibly uh, deadly. If you were to be hit by one of those, it was also incredibly destructive because once they landed, they did not go out and they were hard to put out. But what the Romans found was that if they soaked the leather that covered their shields before they went into battle, when those flaming arrows hit their shields, they could not burn their way through. There's a beautiful picture here, and I think a parallel for believers. When a believer, when a, when, a, when a follower of Jesus who has come by faith to know Christ learns to saturate their lives with faith in God, the, the net result of it is Satan's fiery darts of temptation, 
those darts he sends to cause us to doubt God, to doubt his ability, to doubt his love for us, all of those kinds of things, those darts that he fires to cause us to encourage us to believe some false teaching, those things he, he, he launches at us to create discouragement, despair, or division, all of those things, when there is a life that is saturated with faith, those arrows do not succeed in the cause for which they were sent. When my heart is fixed on the promise of God, the promise of God to be present with me, the promise of God to be powerful on my behalf, the promise of God to guide me in it, when my faith is in that kind of God, the arrows, those fiery darts of the evil one, they cannot land and do damage. My faith is in him and in him alone. Believers for generations have understood this and known this. And they've learned in the course of life, when life gets really hard, to affirm their faith in the living God, saying things like this. And you say, oh, I know that verse, and you do. Because this is part of saying, God, in the midst of the struggle, I trust you. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The strength that Christ gives to his people is mine. I cannot stand in my strength, but by faith in him, I can stand in his strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He will never leave me nor forsake me. Another great declaration of faith. It may be hard, it may be hot, it may be difficult, I may not see an exit way, but I know, I know, I know, I am not alone. I know that he, greater is he that is in me, here's another one, than he that is in the world. My faith is in him. And when you're living with a life saturated with that kind of faith in the God who cannot fail his people, suddenly, oh, and I love this, I love this, I love this. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? I love this. Are you ready? Oh, good grief. Are you ready? Oh, you are? Okay. All right. You're ready. I love this, I love this. I love this picture that when we're together as a body of Christ or we're together as a small group and we're making our way through life together, and by the way, we all need a church family and we all need a small group. When we're going through the fight, when we're going through the battle together, I love this picture because there will be times and there will be days when the shield will drop out of my hand and I'm going to need a brother or a sister or a whole group of brothers and sisters in Christ around me who still have their shield in hand, who are ready, willing and able to speak into my life and say, Steve, you are not alone. Don't forget, greater is he that is in you that is in the world. You belong to Christ. He will not fail you. 
Don't forget, you can do all things through Christ. Yeah, but I've never had this before. It doesn't matter. The word is very clear. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Can you see what happens in the body of Christ? Suddenly what's happened is that my brother or my sister has spoken the word of God into my life and put back into my hand that shield of faith that I needed. And while I was still struggling to find the handle, their shields were protecting me. Don't you love that? I'm telling you, I'm telling you, this is why we need each other. Some of you have dropped your shield and you're wondering whether God can be trusted. You're wondering whether he's still with you. You needed to be here today because you need to find your shield again. I love what David says, Psalm 37. He says, I've been young, but now I'm old, and I've not ever seen the righteous forsaken. We have every reason to keep the shield of faith up and in our hands. And so you can understand why it is that Paul speaks with such urgency here. Because there is always the danger that if we're not watching and we're not careful, that we will let the shield down. There's always the danger and there's always the opportunity to lay down our faith in God and take up as a shield faith in something or someone else. I want to remind you this morning that in this fight we are in, there is no replacement for the shield of faith, none that you can find that will protect you. There is no government, there is no institution, there is no person, there is no thing that can protect you in this fight that we are in like this shield can protect you. There is no one greater, no one better, no one stronger, no one wiser. than the one who gives this shield to his people. You notice with me, secondly, that Paul goes on and he says this. He says, now, I want you not only to take up this uh, shield of faith. I want you to take up the helmet of salvation. In all circumstances, take the helmet. Now, the helmets of Roman soldiers, we've got a, uh, an example of one here, were typically made of bronze. This one is made of plastic. I think it was made in China. It's got some 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not gonna help you in a battle, but it's a good example of what a Roman uh, uh, helmet would have looked like. But you can imagine, I can wear that thing all day long. I will forget it's even on my head. But you wear a bronze version of that, it is going to be heavy. You're going to get tired of wearing it after a while. There is a great opportunity with the helmet of salvation to grow weary of wearing it. Obviously, a helmet like that was built to, to do a couple of things, to protect the head, to protect the brain, the, the, the mind, the eyes, the ears, and also at the same time in the midst of battle to allow a soldier to be as, as aware as he can be of his surroundings and of his enemy and of the attacks. And so this is an important piece of equipment for those reasons. It allowed, watch now, a soldier to think, to move, to act, to focus, to focus. This salvation, this helmet of salvation that Paul calls on believers to take up, to receive and to keep receiving in the battle like it is a gift from God. This salvation is best understood as salvation present. Now, according to the New Testament, salvation comes in three tenses. There is salvation past, salvation present, salvation future. Salvation past is salvation from the penalty of sin. Salvation future is salvation from the presence of sin. One day, there will be no inkling of sin left in me. There will be no influence of sin. Sin will be completely eradicated. Great day, can't wait for that. But in the middle, there is a salvation that is happening even as I speak. I have been set free from the penalty by the cross and the shed blood of Jesus. When Jesus comes again, I will be set free from the presence of sin. All things, all evil will be dealt with, it'll be gone. Looking forward to that, looking forward to that. But in the present, in my present salvation, I'm seeing God deal more and more with the power of sin, the power of sin. So the what caused me, defeated me 10 years ago doesn't defeat me now because he is working, rescuing me more and more from the power of sin at work in my life. This is the salvation that the helmet represents. And so we're being saved. Believers are being saved in the present from sin's destructive work, not only by learning to avoid it and all the destruction that it brings with it, the power of it by being able to refuse the power of it, but also by being able to resist the one who is constantly enticing us by it. 1 Thessalonians 5.8, Paul calls believers to put on as a helmet the hope of salvation in battle. And I love that picture. It is God's saving protection in the past, yes, the future, yes, but particularly in the present that safeguards our minds in the fight. This is what uh, he uses to keep us safe. It is what we are to remember. It is what, to we, it is what we are to accept. This gift that is ours in Christ is the gift of being rescued in the middle of the battle again and again and again and again and again from the power of sin and the power of the evil one. And because we have been saved and because we are right now being saved, 
It means that we are always safe. And this is what we have to keep in our minds. No matter what comes against me, God has already saved me. He will save me, but he's saving me now. There will be a way of escape. There is always a way of escape. I may not be able to see it, but it is there. And what that means then ultimately is, Paul says, don't you dare take off that helmet of salvation. Don't you dare shift your focus from the, what God has done in Christ and the, the safety that you have in him. Don't you dare look for salvation anywhere else. It will fail you every time. Let me give you a quick word and we're gonna move on. Paul is urgent about this. He says, do not take your helmet off. Do not take your helmet off. Do not set your focus on anything or anybody else. Keep your focus on God, the God who has saved you, is saving you, will save you. Keep your, in your mind the truth that you are safe, you are safe, you are safe. Don't forget that Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them and they know me. And no one is ever able to snatch them out of my hand. Keep your helmet on. Keep reminding yourself you're unsnatchable, unsnatchable, unsnatchable. You are safe. You are safe. You are safe. Hear this, hear this, hear this. It is hard to give up when you're in the midst of the battle, when you know in your mind the only thing you can do ultimately is win. You really can lose because you are right now in the hands of God, safe. Thirdly, the Apostle Paul writing says this. He says, Take up that shield of faith. Take up that helmet of salvation. But I want you to, to also take up the sword of the Spirit. In all circumstances, Paul says, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, the word for sword here that Paul uses uh, is, is a word for a, for a sword with a short handle. It's probably shorter than this sword that I have. But um, this is a good, good example of it. You, sir, come here. Yeah. Sure, come right on up. How are you? Good. Good to see you. You ever had a sword in your hand? No. Never? No. Okay. Are you a safe, generally safe person? No. <laughs> You're not generally a safe person? Sometimes, just, okay. Are you safe right now? Yes. Are your parents here? Can he hold this? They're hiding. They're hiding. That's not a good sign. They're all the way in the back. He's all the way over here. All right. Just put, just get a hold of it. Hold it. Okay. There you go.
How long do you think you could hold that up? Not long. It's pretty heavy, isn't it? And what if you, don't, don't do this. <laughs> but what if you were having to use it? I mean, don't, yeah. <laughs> I'll show. What if you were having to do, to thrust and jab and. It'd be hard, wouldn't it? It, it? You'd get tired pretty quickly, right? Yeah. It's a pretty powerful picture. You're about ready to put it down, aren't you? <laughs> you were the perfect guy for me to call on. Because this is exactly what Paul's warning us against. Yeah. Well, should I let you go back and sit down now, you think? Yeah. You were pretty safe right now, weren't you? Yeah. No, thank you. Okay, now. Yeah. There we go. Let's give him a round of applause there. This sword meant, meant a great deal to the Romans because it was a symbol of basically two things, the power of their kingdom and uh, it represented their effectiveness in battle. This was the most effective instrument for close hand-to-hand -hand personal combat. So they relied on this, but in their, in their empire, this was a symbol of their power. It was a symbol of their kingdom. Now, I want you to notice with me in this verse that when Paul says, uh, talks about this sword that belongs to believers, what he does is, he makes two comments. First of all, he says that it is the sword uh, that of the Spirit, which means it is the sword that the Spirit gives. And then he defines or tells us specifically what that sword is. He says it is the Word of God. Now, critical for us is to understand is the word here that he uses for Word of God is not his standard word that would mean Scripture. What it means is it is rima. It means message. It is the message of God. So it's a fascinating thing when you understand this. Jesus answered Satan with truth from the scripture. Do you recall in his temptation experience? He did. He was showing us how you use essentially the apron of truth to deal with your enemy. But here, what Paul is saying is that the message, the, the, uh, the thing we are to use as a sword in the fight is the gospel itself. In the same way we are to be ready with our feet to run with the gospel, the sword of the spirit is the message of God, the message of forgiveness, the message of sins dealt with at the cross. This is our foremost offensive weapon. This is what we're to take with us into battle. This is what we must never lay down because the future destinies of other people depend on our keeping this in our hands, of working our way past the enemy, finding that opening we talked about and going with the bold announcement that there is in Jesus Christ a Savior. Sin no longer has to be dealt with as a conquering hero in your life. It has been defeated. We go with that message. The message of the gospel is the sword of the spirit. Now, can you see with me just for a second? If I take this sword and out of weariness, busyness, 
lay it down. I may be free in Christ, but someone else will not be given that same opportunity. You know, in our, in our culture, in our nation, there are a lot of believers, a lot of churches, who have a different kind of sword in their hand. It's not the gospel. It's good deeds or good works. One of the things you'll notice at Center Grove that we never do is we never partner with a partner who just feeds the, the uh, hungry, who just clothes the poor. We never do that. Why? You don't care about the poor? You don't care about the hungry? Oh, we do. We do. We, we must never forget the poor. We must never forget the hungry. We must always stand ready to help them. But we know beyond a shadow of a doubt, nobody was ever set free of the power of sin by having a good meal or good shoes on their feet. So our strategy as a church and the strategy that we ought to engage in with our life groups and in our individual lives is that we will not carry a sword of good, of good deeds. We will always carry the message of the gospel. And while we're putting shoes on that little, little boy's feet, and while we're putting a delicious meal before or making a meal possible for the hungry, we are also at the same time giving them the bread of life who is Jesus. There are a lot of us who substitute something else. And we wind up being good people doing good things for a good God when he's given us a great message of freedom that the world needs to hear. Don't lay down your sword. When you do, somebody loses their freedom. Well, there's a final application that I want to share with you. And it is this. We hinted at it from the beginning. These parts of the armor that God gives us, this shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, these are the ones that we take up last because you've got to get your apron on, you've got to get your breastplate on, right? Get your shoes on, then you get your, your, your sword in your hand, you, you, you got your shield, you put your helmet on, your sword, your shield. These are the things we put on last I want to say to you, we have to be very, very careful because it seems obvious to me that they're also the ones, the pieces of the weaponry that we lay down first. And I think that explains why Paul begins verse 16 the way he does. Look, go back with me and look there. Paul says in every circumstance, which means always, in all, all the time, everywhere, without exception, take up the shield, take up the helmet, take up the sword. That means even when you're wearing the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the readiness of the gospel of peace on your feet, you, you as a believer, I as a believer, we should never be caught without our faith before us, without salvation on our minds and without the gospel ready at hand. But yet I suspect these are exactly the things that, we're, that are first to go when battle fatigue sets in. Last in our hands, last on our bodies, 
These are the easiest to cast aside when the battle is hard, when the fight doesn't seem to end, when we're tired. Even the most faithful of us can be tempted to let our grip go, drop the shield, drop the sword, and get that helmet off. This past week, we hosted our October meeting of a Tar Heel Leadership Network where we trained pastors. We trained almost a thousand pastors now across the state of North Carolina. And in this particular class, we've got, a, we've got Tar Heel that's held in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina. We have it here in, in Clemens. We've got one pastor in London that watches us and is part of our class, our first international pastor. That's exciting. But in this class this year, we have a lot of soldiers. And uh, one of them was an army ranger. He doesn't talk a whole lot about his experience because uh, from the sound of it, he had some very harrowing experiences and he just doesn't like to bring it back to his mind. But I had lunch with him this Thursday and uh, knowing I was going to preach this sermon and knowing I was going to see you here and knowing that I need to drill down this truth into your hearts and minds. Without telling him what I was doing, I asked him the question. I said, have you ever dealt with battle fatigue? He said, oh, yeah. I said, uh, what was the worst case of it you ever experienced? He said, pushed back from the table and he said, oh, I know, I know. I can go there right now. Afghanistan. Just me, my platoon, surrounded by a force 10 times our size for three weeks. We didn't think we would make it out. He said, I can't describe to you the despair. He said, I'd already written a letter to my family in case something happened to me. They kept it on file. But he said, you know, I, he said, I felt like I needed to write it again. And he said, I wanted to and I started to. But he said, then I didn't because he said, I had no idea who I would give it to. I was pretty sure I wasn't going to make it out. And I was pretty sure there's no way my letter was going to make it out. So why write it? There was an incredible hopelessness. Mentally, spiritually, physically, under fire, three weeks, just waiting for a rescue. Toward the end, the great temptation of those rangers was to give up their faith in the ability of the government, their government, their brothers in arms to set them free, to lose hope that they could be saved and safe. And he said to me, point blank, he said, we were more than once ready just to give. Up. 
Now, the story obviously ended well. There's a group called the, the Air Force Pararescue Squad or something. And while he doesn't think very highly of the Air Force, and I don't know why, he does think a whole lot of the pararescue unit because he said after three weeks, they showed up and did what they alone can do, could do, and they rescued us. That's all he said. He didn't want to talk about it anymore. There is a great secret contained in this passage that I don't want you to forget. And as I close, I share it with you now. Faith, your present salvation, the gospel are things you must never put down. You have a savior, he is coming. He will not fail you. But here is the rule of victory for the spiritual war we're in. It is all the armor, all the time, everywhere, without exception. All the armor, all the time, everywhere, without exception. Those who keep their armor on are those who make the greatest advances against the foe. Keep your armor on. Keep soaking that shield of faith. Set your mind on Christ. He is the great cure for weariness, Hebrews says. Consider him who endured such things on your behalf so that you will not grow weary and faint-hearted. Keep your sword ready. That message of the gospel, people are literally dying to hear. You've been given it to use. Use it. Nothing can touch you. You're unsnatchable. Keep your armor up. Keep your armor on. All the armor, all the time, everywhere, without exception. Father God, I thank you and I bless you for the great courage and great hope, the great joy that is ours in Christ Jesus. Yes, Lord, the battle is long. And yes, Lord, the battle can be hard. And yes, Lord, we, we, we live in, in such a dynamic, such a day where we have to have swords and shields and helmets and breastplates. And yes, we have to have that belt of truth and we've got to have our feet shod with readiness. That is where we live. 
You've reminded us that heaven is not now. Heaven is for later. This is a fight. We're in a battle. Lord God, please find our life groups always in phalanx formation. Find our church always in phalanx formation. Find our families always in phalanx formation. Shields of faith up. Helmets of salvation on. Swords of the spirit ready. Breastplate of righteousness bolted down. Shoes ready. Belt on. Find us ready. As long as we remember that we cannot lose, we will always have in Christ the strength to win. Thank you, Father. For Jesus' sake, amen. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kortz. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.